Hey, what's going on, you guys? This is episode 14 of the Nobby Design Podcast. And in this episode, I sit down with my good friend, Paul Sohn. Paul is the best-selling author of a book called Quarter Life Calling. He's also the founder of a digital platform called Kara, which exists to empower millennials to help find their calling. And finally, he is now an adjunct professor at Biola University, where he specifically teaches a class on calling. This episode is a tons of amazing content around the topic of calling. Uh, we really go deep into Paul's own personal journey and really just hit a ton of different uh, golden nuggets uh, around the calling journey and more specifically, even in the area of identity. I think you guys are really, really going to enjoy this episode. Check it out. All right. What is going on, you guys? This is another episode of the Nobby Design Podcast. And uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I feel really good. I have a really good friend, my brother, Paul Sohn, uh, on the podcast with us. Paul, do you want to say hello? Hello, everyone. It's, it's an <laughs> honor, Andy, <laughs> to, to be on your show, man. <laughs> um. So real quick, just jumping straight into the podcast, um, Paul and I, uh, we originally met back in 2015, um, and I'm sure Paul may even, you know, dabble in his story a bit, but, you know, um, I think Paul and I were both in very transitional times in our lives. Um, I had just started to uh, work in apprentice for a global leadership company called uh, Giant Worldwide. And through one of our consultants, uh, I got connected to Paul. It was actually kind of funny because that guy was like, hey, he's Korean, you're Korean, you guys should talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, Paul and I ended up getting on a phone call we had never met before. Paul was living in California. I was living in Kansas City. And uh, I just felt um, if I could use the Korean word chung, which was like a sense of warmth and closeness, I felt uh, kind of an immediate with Chung uh, with Paul. And that was kind of the beginning um, stages uh, of our very much budding friendship. And uh, again, I don't want to take too much time because I would love for Paul to share, uh, you know, a bit about himself and his life. But, um, you know, one of the unique things and the special things that, that I share with Paul and uh, why I'm excited for this podcast is I think we've, we've been able to experience a lot in a pretty short amount of time. Uh, we were in Korea together doing some consultative work out there. And I would just say, you know, we've really, um, you know, there's just certain friendships that I think continue to upgrade and go to the next level. And so that's, that's how I feel about this brother. I'm super excited. Uh, enough of my mushy stuff, Paul. Um, for those who don't know you, Paul, why don't you take as much time to share a little bit about yourself and uh, your whole journey? Yeah, that's great. Well, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things about myself, but I guess uh, um, I would consider myself a 1.5 generation Korean, Canadian, and American. So um, the journey that I've been on, um, been traveling quite a bit um, because of my family, because of my schooling. Um, but uh, there is a sense of kind of being uh, this third culture kind of kid and being able to navigate the culture of the East and the West. Now I'm based in uh, Orange County, Southern California, where um, I'm kind of playing two unique roles. One um, is a ministry that I started called Kara, and it's a millennial-focused ministry mm -hmm. equipping this generation, helping them discover their God-given identity and calling. So um, I get to play a part speaking into that, um, workshops, coaching, consulting. And then the other hat that I'm currently wearing is um, at Biola University in our business school. Um, I'm also an adjunct professor as wow. well as a director of calling and career there. So there, there's a kind of two different pieces that kind of have a symbiotic relationship, but 
that's kind of a little bit about myself. I also got married last year. Come on. Um, uh, Andy's been praying for me for many years. Uh, <laughs> thanks to his prayer, I'm finally a married man. And it, it's been a almost a, a, a year uh, coming up in our anniversary. So wow. time flies, but it's it's been a fun journey, man. Come on, come on. And just real quick, Paul, you don't have to obviously go crazy into it, but uh, you know, your story with Sehim in a nutshell, how did you guys meet? Cause I think it's a pretty good story. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really crazy. It's kind of one of the Korean drama, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, ended up writing a book, uh, several years back called the quarter life calling mm. got first published in America. Uh, but it also got translated in Korea. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, a few years ago, my wife, she, who, who also loves to read, she was at a bookstore, ended up, uh, browsing the Christianity, you know, section and sees, wow. uh, my book and she starts to read it and she actually finishes the entire book in one sitting and says like, wow, this guy shares a very similar life lesson that I have. And she started to follow me on Instagram and, you know, I usually check out who's following me. So I ended up, you know, looking at her profile and I'm like, wow, who's this beautiful woman? <laughs> and I got to read some of her posts and um, she loves the Lord. And I could see that, uh, yeah, in her, just her writing and her thinking that, oh, I was very curious, you know. Wow. And a few months later, I was going to Korea for, uh, um, you know, speaking to her. And at one of the conferences, she came. And wow. I immediately noticed her. I'm like, oh, I think she's the one on Instagram. Wow. So uh, after the talk, after the book signing and all that, um, I ended up, you know, talking to her in person and the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I just want to say this as a friend who actually did spend some, some time praying for Paul and his wife. Um, you know, I just think the cool thing about friendship and being able to celebrate together was... I remember the first time I actually got to meet Tehim in person, you know, honestly, my first thought was, man, she's perfect for Paul. Like, I just felt that, you know, like, not only you guys physically looked great together, but even your dynamic together. I just, I don't know. I just thought that was really special. Um, yeah, dude. I mean, <laughs> I feel like I'm trying to, uh, I, I feel like for the next 45 minutes, we could just have total friendship talk, but, um, but Paul, I mean, I guess we'll just start here, man, just kind of getting into some, some discussion. But, you know, one of the things that um, I've got to see uh, of your journey, I, I would really kind of say even somewhat from the inception uh, stage was um, you really have been on this journey of not only discovering your own calling, mm -hmm. um, but even learning how to incubate and articulate this idea of calling to a whole generation. And I mean, I really mean that, you know, um, if you have never heard of Paulson's uh, first book that he wrote called quarter life calling, uh, I'd really recommend that uh, genuinely because I feel like it does an incredible job of giving a primer uh, of calling, especially in a way that's relevant to millennials. Um, so my, my question to you, Paul would be, you know, in a nutshell, what was your own calling journey like? And yeah. how did you kind of enter into this sphere of study? That's great. Well, I guess uh, the backdrop story really starts, you know, growing up in a Korean American household where there's a definition of success that's very narrow, right? Like you got to be a doctor, you got to be an engineer, you got to be a lawyer, whatever that is. And part of that was um, felt like that pressure inside of me somehow to succeed in life and especially moving away from my family to study abroad at the age of 14. Wow. I had to grow up uh, very quickly and I had to really think about, okay, like I have to have a game plan. I have to succeed. Ended up going to business school for my undergrad and um, my dad's been in business, so I felt maybe, you know, this is the path that I should pursue. I, uh, yeah, try to, you know, do all these things that the business school teaches you to do. Um, networking events, conferences, like giving your elevator pitch. 
and then um, you know all, all all so that you could kind of embellish your um, you know resume so that you could be hired at your dream company. Wow. Um, so I graduated. I ended up working for uh, my my dream job, which was to work for a Fortune 500 company, and ended up working at a company called Boeing. Um, and um, you know was there for about five years. But during that time, um, that's when God started to do a lot of work in my heart and mm. just using this time to show me a different paradigm of what success looks like. Wow. And um, I'll just go a little bit more in detail of what, what really happened because I think this could be very relevant for a lot of people who are listening. So, you know, I got into my dream job thinking that, man, like, I'm set for life, right? Like I'm a immigrant coming here. I got a great job making a lot of money. I just bought a brand new BMW. I'm like, everything's set. But after about six months into my work, I started to feel the sense of emptiness in my heart. I felt mm. something was missing. Um, something that felt, man, like it's not as good as I thought, you know, this wow. disappointing feeling I had. Wow. And um, honestly, I kind of like didn't really process that emotion. I felt maybe, you know, time would go up, go by and I would just kind of move on. A year went by and I felt more disappointed and disillusioned to a point where um, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but, you know, waking up Monday morning and I'm thinking, you know, why do I have to go to work or why have to do this for the rest of my life? Wow. And um, just felt very kind of lost in that um, hamster wheel and feeling like just a cog in a machine and, and all that stuff. And one day I just couldn't handle it anymore. I just felt depressed, you know? And I remember one day just kneeling down and uh, just praying to God and saying, God, why am I so empty? Mm. Why do I feel so disillusioned? Because if I thought at getting to this job, I would feel so happy and fulfilled, but it didn't feel like that at all. So mm. did I do something wrong, Lord? Or what is happening? Like, I need you to tell me something. And at that moment, I honestly felt like God was saying to me, Paul, you've been asking the wrong questions all your life. Wow. And that's when I realized everything in my life was about me, what, what I wanted, what kind of school I wanted to get into, what kind of job I wanted to have, wow. what kind of city I wanted to live in. Everything was about me. And never once did I ask God, God, what is your plan for my life? What is your dreams for me? What is your calling? So that was a major kind of a defining moment in my life. And the next day I get to share this with my mentor. And he says, Paul, um, do you realize that God has a calling? He has a purpose for your life. You got to start discovering what that looks like. And um, since that, that time, I was on the search of what is my calling? Why am I here? Mm. Um, what are the lies that I believe them that I have to uh, remove from my life? And I started reading all these books on calling, started to have greater clarity of my calling. And after five years, I felt, God wanted me to share what I've been learning with my generation and helping them lean into the calling God has for for their lives. So long story short, I ended up quitting my job, which was, again, a major transition because I didn't have another job lined up. But I just kind of felt like if I don't quit now, it's a lot harder to quit afterwards. So I moved into my parents' house and kind of restarted my life, ended up self-publishing my book. And I'm happy to share what happened after that, but I'll just kind of leave it there. But um, a lot of things happened that I felt was a major shift in my life that a series of decisions that I had to make, which took a risk, but I knew that God was in control and I had to believe him more than I believed myself or believe what my parents were saying or my friends were saying. Bro, I just want to say this. I feel like I'm hearing your story for the first time for some reason. Mm. Uh, even though I, I've, this is probably my, my ninth or tenth time. But, <laughs> right, right. Um, but I, I just want to say this. Um, 
real-time feedback. What's so profound that I'm listening and as I'm engaging in your story again is everything changed for you when you realized it wasn't about you. Mm, yeah. Right. It, it, I mean, it, but it, it's kind of hitting me in a fresh way that it's like, man, like, you know, when we make our lives really about ourselves, mm. it's like, it takes us to this place of deep emptiness and unfulfillment, mm. which was the, almost the impetus or the catalyzer for you to say, okay, what's going wrong? Because something with this equation isn't adding up yeah. that takes you on this incredible or this, this, this soul searching journey mm -hmm. where you start to see the, the light between the door and you're like, maybe it's not about me. Maybe it's bigger than me. Maybe it's about yeah. God. And I just couldn't help but to hear um, just even as you were sharing, Paul, you know, there's several scriptures in the new Testament, but you know, one in particular is, you know, if anyone would want to try to save his life, he'll lose it. But whoever loses his life, right, for my sake, will find it. And I just, that's just what came to my mind as I heard you share. Um, yeah. Yeah, bro. Is there, I, I would say, yeah, I would, I would say even with that, like, one of my favorite quotes um, at the time uh, was from David Platt, who, who kind of said this around the whole idea of calling and, and surrender. He said that in a world where everything revolves around yourself, protect yourself, promote yourself, comfort yourself, and take care of yourself, Jesus says, crucify yourself. And only when I was able to crucify my own ego, my ambitions, my dreams, and really lay it in the altar of Jesus, that's when I felt I was available, truly available for God to do his work. Wow. And that wow. process of crucifying and dying is it's a it's a process it's not like something that happens immediately uh, in one day it's painful it's hard but it is a necessary step in living out one's calling mm. so. paul take us a little bit now in 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 this journey so um just for time's sake you obviously make the bold step to to leave boeing um which I'm sure even for you, you're like, oh, my God, do I know what I'm doing? Um, you know, I'm sure you may have even got feedback from people like, are you sure about this? But you, you, you end up taking this leap of faith. And take us a little bit on the journey, Paul, of how you came to write your first book. And what were some of the things that happened as a result of that even for you? If I be very, if I'm very, being very honest, uh, the, the, when I first had the idea of writing the book, I was still at a place where there were there were there were my dreams that were really like dominating my heart. So I felt maybe you know if I want to go into a top MBA school, maybe I should write a book because that's a way to differentiate yourself. And then I start to think about all the ways of writing a book and start writing. And I'm like, this is way too much work. You know, I can't, I can't actually do this. Um, and then, and then God started to say, Paul, like, no, like you need to write this book, not for yourself, but because of so many people in your generation are asking this question. I've given you something that you have almost this uh, responsibility to share it with them. Um, so it came out of that kind of holy discontent from what I was seeing. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to battle through a lot of my own insecurity of like, hey, you know, I'm a, I came as an ESL student, like, who am I to write a book, especially wow. in English and all that stuff. But, you know, the desire and the burden was too big for me to ignore it. So after years, I've, I just felt I had to write it. So I self-published it on Amazon, uh, you know, self-publishing, uh, was very simple. I didn't have to go through a major publisher. I didn't even believe that, you know, a publisher would even sign a contract with me. But I just felt I had to write one and I self-published it. And from the time I self-published, that's when it, my world changed because God started to just use this book in a mighty way where the book really did well and became an Amazon bestseller. And then a couple of days later, I get an email from an agent, a literary agent in New York City saying that she read the book 
and her life was changed. Her Come life on. was transformed. Come on. And she's reached out to me and said, Paul, like, would you be interested to sign a contract with a major Christian publisher? Wow. I thought it was a scam. <laughs> I thought if this was like too good to be true, but we meet a week later in person in LA and she basically sends me this proposal and says, Paul, I'm going to be submitting this proposal today for every Christian publisher I know. Just pray and see what God does. So two weeks goes by, I get a call from my agent saying, Paul, like you wouldn't believe this. This never happened to me, but like I got seven offers from the top Christian publishers. <laughs> Come on. And I, I just, this never happened to a first time author. And I immediately wow. felt this sense of excitement, but at the same time, like sense of uncertainty of like, what is happening with my life? Yeah. But deep inside, I knew, wow, like God is doing something beyond my own plans. I just have to be faithful and follow him one step at a time. Wow. So a year later, I got to, um, you know, republish the book. And then, and then after that, in Korea, the book got translated. And in Polish, it uh, got translated. Um, and then it, it just created an entire a new window for me to go and all around like different parts of America and Asia and just go and share this message God's put in my heart on. And, and that's been my journey for the last five years or so. Right. And wow, it's been a, a pretty amazing journey to say the least, but I always say to people that um, from the time that I said yes to my calling, come on, every day was so different in a sense that I, I I've, my prayers have changed and said, God, like, how will you surprise me today? Mm. Because now I realize that God is in control and I got to get more excited about, wow, like, God, who are you going to connect me with today? Mm. What are you going to do today? And show your faithfulness and your love. And wow. that, that's been an amazing journey, man. Wow. And, you know, I'll just say this, Paul, like, truthfully, for me, watching your journey from, I remember seeing your, your Facebook post. Like, hey, my, my first copies of my books just came to my house. Like, <laughs> I remember all of that, you know, yeah. and honestly, to see your journey from there, it felt like watching a movie from the outside in, right? Mm. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I can see this progress, progression of this journey. And the maybe one or two things that I, I wanted to say about that is, to me, it was so clear that the favor of God was on you because of your obedience, mm. right? Like you, you, you obviously going down this trajectory of saying, okay, God, like, I know it's not this, I'm going to follow you here. And to see the faithfulness and to see just the doors that opened up again, I'm not trying to make it sound like it's all about the doors, but to see that, you know, really God was endorsing this message to say, Hey, this message has to go out, you know? Mm. Um, I just thought that that was really cool. And, you know, just another quick side comment, too, is, you know, the the title of the book is called Quarter Life Calling. And I think that it's so I can't even find the right word, but it's so cool because most of the time, right, in, in, in what we're used to is where we, we hear like midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that you talk about in your book, Paul, that I love is the fact that what we're discovering is there's a quarter life crisis. Absolutely. Right. It's, it's, it's that crisis is coming a lot earlier for various reasons. And I just want to say this quickly in before I go to my, my next question, but um, I, I'm so appreciative of that because I feel like we're saving so many people so many years by really asking the tough questions now, rather than realizing when you're 45 years old and you're like, why do I want to keep buying a Porsche for no reason? You know what I mean? Like, um, why am I having this midlife crisis? So I just wanted to affirm you, Paul, and to say that, you know, I think the message is so uh, necessary um, and needed. Um, Quick question I have for you. So as you went on this journey, Paul, like, what were some moments that you felt this is what I'm created to do? Wow, that's good. Um, I would just preface that by saying I'm still on that journey. Um, yeah. I'm still discovering about myself. I'm still asking, what is my kingdom contribution? 
Mm. Um, what does that really look like? And it's becoming more and more clear. Mm. But I've had a, 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 now I could articulate, I, I guess, in a, a pretty solid way that I think what makes me unique in the sense of like, this is my sweet spot is when I'm able to be um, kind of this scholar practitioner where I have this scholar side where I love learning. Like for me, reading is like eating. (laughs) I have to read. I have to read. It's part of my DNA and I have to learn. And this lifelong learning uh, desire is huge. At the same time, I also want to use that and to bless people by equipping them and immobilizing them and awakening them for uh, their own calling as well. So the mm. pra- that's the practitioner side, whether that means teaching or coaching. So I guess when I'm able to do both, um, that's when I feel most alive. Mm. Um, and that's something that I, I, I get to do uh, to a certain extent here at my work. And, and that makes me just come alive and feel like, wow, like, mm. I feel blessed. I feel privileged because, you know, Gallup shows that it's about 75 to 80% mm. of millennials. They yeah. are disengaged at work. Wow. Um, so that means they're not utilizing their strengths. Yeah. They're not living out who they were created to be. Mm. And that dissonance that's being created and th- this tension really just wreaks havoc in their life. Mm. And that brings so much pain in my life. So I want to help them and say, hey, you don't have to live like this. Mm. This is not the life that you were meant to live. Mm. What can you do to shift and pivot so that you could really step more into your calling? Wow. Paul, I I think you're hitting an incredible vein right now. Um, What would you say, uh, because I know you've done, you know, you've studied and you've worked uh, a ton with millennials. What would you say would be kind of some general diagnoses um, around why young people today are struggling so much with calling and even the statistic you brought up of feeling disengaged. Like if you were to give a diagnosis for what's really happening at a deeper level, why uh, that's the condition, what would you say? There's a lot of different factors, but I would say one specifically ties with this idea of our modern identity. Mm. And this is really important because how we think about identity, which mm. it really is a sense of who you are and yeah. um, the, the constant self when you're meeting with all these different people. And mm. also um, this idea of um, your self-esteem. So both mm. are kind of two elements of what I call an identity. But what you see in our history, there's an ancient identity in the past where you had to attach yourself with the world or your surroundings. Mm. And you were part of this social stratification. Let's say you were a peasant. That was your identity. You were not supposed to go outside of that class and system. And that was who you are, what you're supposed to do. And family after family after family, that was your role in our Mm. society. Now there's pros and cons to that, but in our modern identity uh, with um, this hyper expressive individualism that's mm. came out of like, this is what you want to do, then go after that. The whole American dream mm. is a manifestation of this expressive individualism. Mm. Now, the onus has been put on yourself where you become uh, the arbiter of truth and you say to yourself, I am who I am. I am wow. what I feel. I am what I own. I am what I possess. Wow. If my dream is to become um, the next president or the next CEO or the next celebrity, then I could become that. And we're living in a culture where that is a main crux of how we define identity. Mm. Now, the, the problem is this. Modern identity is crushing people. Mm. The reason why there's so much anxiety and pressure and depression with so many young people is because the onus is put on them and they feel the weight and the responsibility to say, I have to do whatever it takes to become this because I put the onus on myself. Wow. And if I fail, it's not like I failed in one of my projects or jobs. 
the failure is a reflection of me. I failed as a mm. person. And as a result of that, they felt depressed because their identity is tied with whatever they say they will do. And I think that has a big connection with calling because if you don't know who you are, you, you can't really know what you're supposed to do. And if your whole identity is wrapped around, I, I am the one responsible for everything, then they're, they're always thinking about, I have to somehow prove myself. I have to do things, which really goes against the whole gospel, which is a gospel of grace and faith. And our identity is not measured by what we do, but what God has done, what Jesus has done on the cross. On. So on. to me, that is one of the most important issues that we have to address for our generation. Dude, this is so profound right now. Uh, um, I'm just actively listening the whole time and, and a lot of thoughts bubbling up. But I mean, in essence, Paul, what you're saying is that the reason why this generation is struggling with calling, why we're struggling with anxiety and even depression and a host of other things is, is it's really an identity issue. And I think that this is deeply profound. And really what you're saying is that by bearing the burden of being the author of your own identity, mm -hmm. it's a burden too heavy for any individual to carry. Absolutely. Because we weren't meant to carry that type of weight. And what I hear you saying is that as, as long as we discover our identity from ourselves, it's always going to somewhat kind of self-destruct. And so really by nature, what you're saying is that it's almost like we were created to stipulate our identity on a transcendent truth beyond ourselves, And if we just call it for all intents and purposes on God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Identity, yeah, identity is not something you create. Identity is something you receive. Come on. And I think that's so important for us to recognize that. And we need the discernment, really the biblical worldview, which is something we're lacking. Only four or 5% of Gen Zers and six, 7% of millennials have a biblical worldview. And that's extremely troubling for the church as they think about discipling the next generation. Wow. When, you, when I even say this, if I would say this to most young people, they would absolutely have no clue what I'm saying. Mm. They, they would, it's like, you know, they say uh, in a Chinese proverb, if you want to know what water is like, ask the fish. <laughs> the fish don't know that. That's the environment. They don't know what wow. it's like to be wet. And wow. that's the world where young people on Netflix, on social media, what they breathe is this culture and if we, as Christians, do not provide a compelling narrative, Come they're on. constantly deceiving themselves. And wow. that pains me. Wow. Dude, this is, this is significant, bro. Um, is there anything more you would want to say on identity? I guess the reason why I'm asking this is, you know, um, well, let me ask this first question, Paul. Like, what would you say would be some diagnostic indicators that someone is having um, in an identity crisis. Yeah, that's great. Well, I think one of them is, um, so there's a number of ways you kind of experience an identity crisis. One is maybe similar like to me where you reach a certain sense of achievement, wow. but you still find it wanting, you still find it it's lacking. Wow. Um, kind of the whole Ecclesiastes story, like all this vanity is chasing after the wind. Wow. Another point is where um, you're starting to see and compare yourself with your friends and people on social media and comparison and competition because becomes um, just overwhelming in your life. And you just constantly feel this like insecurity within you. Mm. That's another way that 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 people experience it mm. um and then also it's also uh a lot of millennials um and emerging adults one of the key markers of this generation is a time of being in between a mm. time of instability mm. if you just consider this three mm. percent of millennials have moved to a new residence every year wow that's a lot of transition Wow. During transitions, it's tough 
And I think, especially there's this idea, like you have to suck it up and just kind of do it. Mm. But transitions and, and being in constant transitions, always mm. being in flux, mm. creates such um, a big change psychologically and, uh, and even physiologically, wow. where you have to kind of step back and kind of get into this time of unhurrying yourself come on and look at look at your life and ask yourself what is happening with my life what is god trying to teach me in mm. this season because god does one of his greatest works during transitions come on um so so i think those are some ways for people to think through that this is great paul i and and i want to hit on a word you just said with um the word unhurry i think that that's it's a unique word in, in and of itself but i mean you're, you, you kind of already hit on kind of a transition to this question. So, you know, we're identifying that there is this identity dissonance, right? Very much so in this generation. Going off of even what you were sharing with unhurry, what, what, do you, what, would, you, what would you say? How would you coach? How would you impart or even share your own journey with how do we essentially remedy this? How do we go about this? How do we attack this? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, what Dallas Willard said is you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. Come on. And he said that when I think about Jesus, um, the number one characteristic I think of him is he was relaxed. And that's a very interesting way to describe Jesus <laughs> because, you know, there's so many other words we could use, but Dallas Willard who, who was known as someone who's walked with God, he said he was relaxed. Mm. And as followers of Jesus, we got to think about that and dwell on that because about 33% of Jesus's interactions with people were interruptions. <laughs> and he never said, oh, I'm busy. I got to go somewhere else, Come which on. is our mode of thinking today. Come on. Uh, but you, because we're always so progress-oriented and goal-oriented in our society. Mm. But Jesus looked at the person he was present with every one of them. And that's where always actually the beauty happens um, and the transformation happens. So for me in my journey, I feel God's been teaching me and saying, Paul, like you've been hustling a lot, which is the, again, the MO of this age is mm. Gary V and others saying, hey, you got to hustle, hustle. Like you got to do your hard work. And there's a pl place for that. There's a time for that. Yeah. But if that becomes your lifestyle, yeah, you're going to get burned out. You're just going to be on. tired. It's, you're gonna, never going to feel that peace and, and joy that's going to overflow out of just your being wow. and you're find yourself out of your doing. And I just want to tell every, anyone who's listening, if you, if you felt yourself constantly going after one thing after another thing, um, ask yourself, why are you doing that? What's it for? Is it, is it for yourself? Um, is, it, is it for God? Is it for others? And if we're truly honest with ourselves, that's a place where God could now start to whisper into you and say, hey, like you're, 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 you're not who you are based on what you do. Wow. You're who you are based on who you are, which is a beloved child of God. Nothing can separate the love of God. Wow. And it, it, it almost takes us to unhurry ourselves in order to let that transcendent truth take residence within us. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a, that's a that's necessary step. Absolutely, man. Dude, let me just say this, man. I, honestly, this is already proving to be one of my favorite podcasts. I, I'm enjoying this a ton. <laughs> me too, bro. They're so, it's so rich. Um, you know, it's interesting. So recently I was watching a Netflix documentary um, called Everybody's Everything. And it's about a young generation, Gen Z rapper. Um, his name's Lil Peep. And to be, you know, just the story in a nutshell, he's a Gen Z rapper, kind of blew up somewhat overnight success, ended up taking his life essentially by suicide. But the whole um, premise of the film was about how he was defined by everyone and everything. It was a very clear example that he was satisfying the world and the world's cravings and the world's desires of him. That's why the movie's called Everybody's Everything. 
And it just, it, it took such a toll on him to the point that he wanted to take his very own life, you know? And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because as I was watching through bits and pieces of this film, I, you know, number one, I, I, I'm very drawn to documentaries and um, biographies because I'm very, very interested in the human experience and um, dissecting that. But number two, I actually felt as I was watching this, that it was a, um, a cry of an entire generation. As I watched this guy's life, I actually felt God almost impress on my heart that, hey, this story that you're seeing right now, I want you to watch it because this is what an entire generation is crying right now. They're crying out for a sense of real identity. Um, and so, um, you know, going back to what you were saying, Paul, about this unhurry, I mean, if you don't mind sharing, what would you say are some kind of lessons or nuggets that you've been personally gleaning um, in this year of unhurry for you? Yeah, I think uh, my approach to unhurry um, is something where I'm constantly going, get going against my flesh and my natural desire to do things. But one of the things that I even do with my quiet time is mm -hmm. instead of quantity, which is so my my way of measuring success, I've read five chapters or 10 chapters a day, but instead I would just kind of not think about that at all. But just as I read the word of God, I, I really dwell on it. I really put myself in the position of the character. And I think about what is God trying to teach me, the character, um, what is, who is God in this process? and really seeing it from multiple different perspectives mm. and letting that hit me and my heart mm. and not just storing up knowledge in my head and memorizing it and all the things that could be helpful and it is helpful, but wow. more importantly, focusing on my heart and asking God, I want you to reorder my heart, the desires of my heart. And I think that practice has been extremely helpful in sanctifying me and helping me grow to be more like Jesus. Another thing is just being able to have more time of silence and solitude and Sabbath, um, things that, um, that I've kind of gleaned from other people and some of their own spiritual practices, but even having an entire rule of life created. Uh, before I was so goal-driven, I would be like, I got to write another book or I got to write another thing or accomplish another thing, mm. one thing after another. Mm. The rule of life is more around uh, a way of life of being and do a uh, being. And how do I just focus on being with Jesus and, you know, be with him instead of God doing things through me. I first have to be with him. If I, if I don't experience the witness and the presence of God, you know, I'm building things on a very shallow foundation. So that's been my transition um, for me is God helping me learn how do I be with God. And throughout the process, he's changing my heart. He is transforming me and cultivating me to be the person that I was called to be. And, and in other words, it's all about character. I think it's, that's a key part of it. And I feel like that's the season I'm entering into. Mm. And, and a big part of that, I would say this, a very, very important part I'm learning is whenever you're in a transition, one of the greatest things or important, most important things you have to do is to finish well and end well, because mm. a transition happens by ending. Mm. There is a part of my singlehood that I cannot carry mm. as a married man. Mm. No one taught me this, but I think one of the things that I hope someone taught me or I would tell myself if I were able to go back a few years ago is Paul, I want you to actually have closure with your single Paul. I wow. want you actually to create like this rite of passage where you create this fake funeral of yourself and say, read out who Paul Sohn was as a single you, you, you play tennis by yourself with friends whenever you can, or you could do it whatever you could. You could meet all your friends whenever you did. Uh, but I'm saying goodbye to you, Paul, and I'm going to embrace a new side of Paul. And I think that 
that transition and if if you don't do that well we're trying to carry ourselves but we're we're different i'm in a different season and that requires saying goodbye to my old self mm. and um that's part of life that's part of transition but some of the things that i've been really learning in this season dude that is so profound i mean i i've never actually heard it shared quite like that about giving people practical steps to transition well i mean really what you said was amazing that you know when you're transitioning you're going from one thing that is old to something that is new but it's not so much always how we move into that new but it's almost how we bring closure to that ending yeah um that is wow that's so significant and i mean you know even the example of marriage i think is huge i mean every married person listening to this could say amen <laughs> you know when you're when you're passing that threshold there almost has to be a a tidying or a a a um a, res, a resolve a resolve to former parts of your life mm-hmm. and uh embracing running everything by your wife now <laughs> exactly <laughs> wow paul um man as as we're kind of somewhat descending this plane i want to ask i want to ask actually two quick questions number 1 um with the unhurry thing and really at the end of the day what you're talking about is slowing down right mm-hmm. um i think it's very powerful especially coming from you because you know i've known you you're very much more of a type a personality right you're mm-hmm. you're very goal oriented or you have been and 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 it was you know and i think naturally people that have that type of bent they struggle more with the unhurry um and so my question to you would be kind of on a practical note for others who may be more type A driven um who you know are kind of still in that pace what are some practical things you would share that would help people to actually slow down yeah well you know i think that there is a power in community and power in accountability mm. and i think yeah it's one thing to share and say hey this is what i i want to do in unhurry but um, we're, we're just so weak as humans. There's just that habit of, of living that life and that personality and what, what you're acquiring. So part of it requires you to have people in your life to actually say, hey, how can I help you in this journey? Mm-hmm. Um, how can I uh, support you in this time? Mm-hmm. And when you are, let's say, going back to your old patterns and for people to actually share that with you um, to be your kind of, um, you know, those who share your blind spots, um, mm. they can share that with you and actually tell you that, Hey, this is what I'm noticing. If not, it's so easy, I think, to justify and rationalize things. Wow. Slowly and slowly we're able to just, you know, to go back to our, our normal. It's, it's hard to go into the new normal, right? Um, there has to be a sense of urgency that's been created. Mm. Um, so, kind of the times we're in today with the COVID-19, mm. people are kind of thrusted to change. It's not like they're saying, I, I'm going to change, but they're, they have to change. If not, they, they can't survive. Wow. In a similar way, uh, for us to change ourselves, there has to be a deep sense of urgency. Mm. And if you're able to put yourself in that place of urgency and having the right accountability and support system, mm. I think that would be an, a, a better way for success um, then, um, you know, trying to do it by yourself because, or willpower only can do so much. Mm. Um, and obviously you need to tie that with your quiet time and, and going to the scriptures and really meditating the lifestyle of Jesus, him always kind of being with the crowd and going back, withdrawing with God alone. And that's his daily kind of his pattern of his life. And if, if that's our motivation to be more like Jesus, then uh, it's going to be intrinsic motivation, not extrinsic, uh, where we're trying to get some sort of uh, external reward from it. Mm. Come on, bro. This is totally random. But for those of you who don't know, Paul is an ENFJ. And uh, that if you know anything about the ENFJ, that's where he gets his insatiable hunger for learning. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just this is so random. But I just wanted to say I I appreciate Paul in my life because he's always one of those people that has always challenged me to learn more and to dive deeper. 
uh, in learning. And, you know, that's the fun thing about friendships is they activate different parts of you and stimulate different parts of you. Um, Paul, I want to kind of land this plane by actually bringing this conversation full circle. Um, you said something in the beginning of this podcast about your calling journey, about how you almost felt that there was a redefinition of success. Things that you considered were successful before, you don't really consider that anymore. Um, my question to you today, Paul, would be, how does Paul Sohn, how do you view success today? And, and what does that mean to you now? Yeah. So if I if I had uh, viewed success in the past as kind of climbing this ladder of success with um, prestige and power and popularity and and possession, if that was the main marker, I think today, honestly, it's about faithfulness. It's it's about being faithful to the things that God's called me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not doing things God didn't tell me. It's not um, doing things that I want. It's doing things God has called me. And that's my lane. It's like I'm having greater clarity. Like I can't be anything that I want to be. I can be only, I, become, I can become best in what God's called me to be. So whatever that is, I'm going to be faithful. And I'm going to spend every day in the ordinary, in the trenches, doing the best I can and not let myself be defined by what people are saying or, or what I'm seeing around the world. Because like, even, you know, the temptation is very real. I think I love for a lot of people. I see like you, like Andy, or, you know, all of our good friends from, you know, um, a lot of in our circles, I could say, man, like, wow, they're really good at this. Oh, wow. Like they're so good at this. And, <laughs> and you, sometimes you could get into your own head. I'm like, what am I, what am I good at? I don't feel like I'm good at anything. And, mm. and it's so easy where the enemy comes and deceives you and says like, you're not really good at that. Right. And I think a part of it um, for me is to be able to say at the end of my life, when God would say, Paul, um, you have done well, you've done well, you have been a great servant, mm. a faithful servant. Mm. And in that I, I, I reward you I, in that I, I love you because you've been faithful, not out of this desire to prove yourself because out of the love that I've given you. And I think for me, if I did that, um, I, I will consider myself a, a, well, a well-lived life. And um, I think for every person listening, I want you to know that you're, you're, you're not Craig Rochelle or you're not Francis Chan or you're, you're not you know, Tim Keller or whatever that person that you're, you consider as like an amazing person who's doing great things for God. Mm. You are you in the sense that there's only certain things that you will be able to do in your own surrounding and your own relationships. And I want you to acknowledge how precious that is. Mm. And, And that even if it's small in terms of scope, it's not small in the eyes of God. And if, if, you, if you really live for the audience of one, God will say, and it, it will show appreciation for how much what you're doing is important for him, right? And, and for me, I think that's been the major shift that I've been experiencing and how I see success. Paul, I, I'm just going to say this. I, uh, I've probably said this, I don't know, a handful of the other guests, but I could easily see a part two with you, honestly. I think what you just shared um, about your, you know, the way that God has redefined success for you, I, I, I honestly feel like that could easily be a podcast in and of itself, you know, because, you know, I think more often than not, I think this generation, we we would admit that we struggle with comparison. And if you really take it deeper the only reason why we're struggling with comparison is we don't rec- we don't know what our lane is right right we we there's there's a sense of insecurity because we can't we can't locate where our security needs to be placed in mm. so it right and so um i think that this is so pertinent i think to to so many people um 
you know, even as I was hearing you, you share this as well, Paul, I think it, okay, I'll just share this quickly, even for myself, and obviously, I'm not acting like I've arrived. But I remember when I turned 30, um, I did recognize a pretty significant shift in my life internally. Um, mm -hmm. I think even that's a hallmark of growing yeah. up, right, as we become deeply uh, more and more self aware. Um, obviously, uh, marriage is a, a Kickstarter to that. <laughs> but, um, but I remember when I turned 30 years old, um, my I remember my wife, Yuna, she asked me that night um, that we had a party and you know, everyone left and it was quieting down. And she asked me, she said, Hey, honey, how, how does it feel being 30? And the question itself elicited the answer, right? The question itself caused me to think about it. And I said, the best way I can describe it is I feel more at peace than I've ever felt before because I feel more comfortable in my own skin than I've mm. ever felt. Mm. And it was almost like an examination or a reflection on my 20s to say like, man, through the last 10 years, I've recognized who I am and who I'm not. Mm. Um, I've recognized what I'm good at and, and what I'm not. And mm -hmm almost this rec internal reconciliation of coming to terms with that and being at peace with that. And I'll just say this last part, I wasn't even planning on sharing this, but you know, another podcast that I want to do, and, and I don't know if how I'm going to orchestrate this, especially now with COVID-19, but um, I really wanted to do like a round table podcast with like three or four mm. friends. And the reason why is because there's something even about friendship that, I'm, I want to do a podcast on that I feel is so rich. And the reason why I say that is another thing that was simultaneously happening as I became very um, comfortable in my skin was I started to recognize that another reason that allowed me to become that comfortable was that I recognized that there were other people in my life that had strengths that I didn't. And it was my connection and my friendship and my love for these uh, brothers that almost kind of like gave me permission to be me. I don't know if what I'm saying is making sense. It's like, mm -hmm. like in the presence of other people's strength and their security, yeah. it somehow enhances my own security and gives me permission you know, for all Myers-Briggs people out there, it just gives me permission to be the INFP that I am, <laughs> right? Because it's like, like, kind of like what you were saying, Paul, like, you know, I could look at someone like who's an ENFJ and be like, man, I want to be more like them because they're so this, this and this. But, um, but, but in my own self-awareness journey, and in the presence of friends, it's given me the permission to really be who I am. Um, yeah, I think that, yeah, and I think that there's power in that, because, you know, we are created not to be alone. We are created to be in a community. And there is so much power when thinking about just for you, when people mm -hmm. around you said, Andy, like, this is something I really appreciate about you. This Come is, on. I, I love who you are. And, and that does so much to who we are. And it, it acknowledges us and it makes you feel heard and loved, which is the primal desire people have and mm. as a result of that you could just let off your guard and just be yourself come on and i think that is just the power of these what we call covenantal friendships and relationships mm. is so many people are seeking that searching for it but they're wow. putting on a mask because they're afraid if if they will not be accepted or embraced if they're truly themselves wow but if we could truly like recognize and have the humility and say i i'm not a superman I only can do so much, but there's something else that I see in you that is so special and I want to call that out. Then you're creating a culture where everybody feels like, man, this is where you can shine. This is where you can shine. This is where you can come in. And as a whole, we're, we're, we're better as a whole, you know? All right. I'm going to say it. This is definitely going to go down as one of my favorite episodes. I'm just going to say it on the air now. Um, dude, I think what, I think this definitely, I'm just going to say it as well too. This, this definitely has to be another podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think even exploring just what you just shared, Paul, um, I think 
I, I would find tons of benefit um, just even having that conversation for myself. Um, Paul, bro, thank you so much for the time. Um, like I just said, man, this podcast has really been enriching, uh, just even for me personally. Mm. Uh, thank you guys so much for continuing, continually tuning in uh, to our Nobby Design podcast. Um, you know, I, I, I share this on most of our episodes, but, you know, the hope um, of the podcast is through these very real uh, dialogues that, um, that we'd be able to provide uh, content and uh, value and e even inspiration. Um, so if you've been enjoying these, would love for you guys to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that will allow us to extend our reach and to reach more people with uh, what we're talking about. So, Paul, you want to say goodbye to the listeners? Yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure, Andy, and thanks for having me on. And anybody who has listened to this and would love to chat with you if you want to, and I'm open, available, mm. find me at, at my website, paulson.org, or right. on Instagram, Facebook. I'm happy to talk with you. So thanks for the opportunity, brother. Absolutely. You guys can find Paul Sohn. Thank you guys so much for uh, tuning in. God bless.